Hi, folks. This is Mike Young with Noble Warriors, and welcome to the Noble Man Podcast, Episode 24. Now, for the next several weeks, our theme for the podcast is going to be the Noble Man Walks With or In Sexual Integrity. We're going to hit a topic that is critical to the lives of men. And, and to women as well, but but we're going to talk it talk about it in a men's context. And today I have a good friend with me. Uh, Mike is one of my wise guys. You've heard me talk about my Friday morning men's group that I hang out with, um, and we kind of do life, process life, and uh, encourage each other, hold each other accountable, uh, Mike and myself and a few other guys. But Mike is with me today. Um, and we're going to hear his story. I've heard it many times in various pieces and parts, but we're going to have a conversation about his story. And so the title of today's podcast is The Nobleman Knows He's in a Purity Battle. And um, I, I, I just am looking forward to this conversation because I think you guys are going to be able to identify. Many of us will be able to identify with some of the things that Mike says and um, and hopefully we're going to be able to make some right next steps. And so that's what we want to do. And I'm uh, let me get this kicked off by just saying, Mike, welcome. And thanks for your willingness to come and be part of this conversation this morning about really a, a challenging topic at times. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy getting together. Yeah, it's a blast. Um, we have uh, covered a lot of ground together and raising kids and dealing with life and marriage. And so let, let me let me start by this. Um, we have been doing this one quick question survey on a weekly basis. And last week we put out the question, um, when was your first exposure to pornography? We asked guys this. And the, the overwhelming number of guys, let's see, it was 38% of the guys who responded said their first exposure was between, between 10 and 11 years of age. There were some guys who were exposed before the age of five, uh, some that were older into their teenage years, and there were a few. There were three out of 145 said that they had never been exposed to pornography. Now, that's that's huge. That's awesome, but that's less than, that's like one and a half percent. And and those are noble warriors, uh, folks who are attentive to what we're doing. So we see that most every guy has been exposed, and that, most of the guys were exposed between the ages of 10 and 12. So what's your reaction to what we're seeing there in terms of those numbers and and that uh, survey result? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I, I was I was 11 years old um, when I was exposed. And so uh, and it, it just happened to be I was out riding a bike and yeah. and out in the woods and just fell into a pile of magazines. So but now it's so much more accessible. Uh you know, it's it's not you don't have to go to a convenience store and buy a magazine. You can find it anywhere on the Internet. Exactly. I mean, part of what you and I were dialoguing about before this is what is this? If if we were surveying just millennials or even Gen Xers, what would their responses be? And I think this is going to skew more toward the younger side. Mm -hmm. We we also ask guys who are willing to tell us, um, tell us the story of their first exposure and. My goodness, I tell you, one of the things you guys can read this, that's these responses are on our website um, under resources. One quick question, the answers to these. Um, but it, it's amazing how many scenarios there were where parents uh, had magazines around or they went into uh, an office that had pinups on it or, or something and guys became exposed to this. I, I know. You know, I just think about my various exposures. I had relatives that had magazines that I 
you know, stumbled upon or was shown. And so I was exposed there. I remember uh, going to the barbershop with my dad and there was a stack of magazines on the counter. And so every once in a while, a guy would go and grab one of those magazines. There were other magazines there on the on the coffee table. But I remember as a kid just kind of sauntering over to that part of the, the cabinet and reaching up and grabbing one of those. And my dad said, no, you're not getting one of those. And, <laughs> and, and so it, it was, you know, it's part of culture in some cases, uh, but it becomes dangerous culture. Yes. So um, some guys get, get drawn into a trap and sucked into a cycle that is, uh, is detrimental. So, mm-hmm. so tell us your story. I've talked a lot here, but tell us your story. Yeah, so uh, I'll back up before I was exposed for the first time. I, I lived in Michigan. I've got a twin brother and an older brother, and then my, you know, my parents were married, and, and so we lived in Michigan for a while. When we moved from Michigan down to Georgia, I was about 10 years old, um, and we only lived in Michigan for, I mean, lived in Georgia for only 10 months because at the end of those 10 months, my, my mom ended up taking her life. So during those 10 months, it was a very dark time in our family, as you yeah. can imagine. And so because as soon as we moved to Michigan or from Michigan to Georgia, there was a light switch that went off in my mom and she just got terribly depressed. Um, and so during that time, we lived in a house that was at the end of a neighborhood. There was new construction beyond our, our house. And so my brothers and I would ride bikes in the woods and just kind of goof, goof around in the woods. Well, one afternoon I was riding my bike solo stumbled down a hill and there was a pile of magazines that, that I mentioned earlier. Well, for me at that moment, the light switch, it was a dark time in our family. And for me, a light switch went on when I saw the pornography. It was, it was very, there was an adrenaline rush, yeah. um, some excitement there. But at the same time, there's this tension going, well, I don't think I should be looking at what I'm looking at. And so I immediately felt the tension but boy, did it feel like some life was was shot into my life at that time. Didn't go back home and tell anyone, didn't tell my brothers or my dad. I carried that for a couple decades. And so you mentioned finding pornography in different areas. Well, as soon as my mom, by the way, I went back to that pile a couple times just out of intrigue. Hey, let, let, let's stop here for just a sure. couple of minutes. So. You're not the only one. I mean, there are multiple people who said, I found magazine in the woods or I found it, you know, it was in a treehouse. I, I had my pastor one time said he found one that someone had hidden on a pathway uh, at, a, at a tunnel or something. I don't know. But so um, we stumble upon stuff. Why do you think those magazines were dumped off there? I was that's an interesting question, because most I don't. I can't probably most guys hide things like that. I mean, yeah. I'll go into a bookstore even today. If I go into a, a major bookstore, you can walk around and find magazines hidden inside larger books yeah. because guys look at it and just don't want to be seen looking at it. Yeah. So it's just a, it's just anonymity. You don't want to be seen. With so, it. so let's get to that. There's, there is this, I mean, immediate sense that this is forbidden. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and I shouldn't be doing this. There's there's a little bit of shame involved in this, so I'm looking around. I mean, I you have to be in a pretty bold place to just out in the open display yeah, pornography, um, and and so there's this uh, this mystery to it, and there's the shame attached to it. 
Um, and so we know we're doing something wrong, but we're drawn to it. Yeah. I think there's a mix of uh, we're wired to be attracted to the human body. I mean, it's a beautiful exactly. know, creation, <clears throat> but we're, but it, it, when it's perverted that way, yeah. that's where the tension starts to build and you're, and the shame really takes hold. Yeah. So, so now, I mean, I, we just have to stop along the way here because I think it's important for us to to talk about what you just mentioned, that we're wired to appreciate the human body. Man, God made us. What is it? Genesis 2, 25 says, and the husband and wife were naked and they were not ashamed. Mm. Um, and, and so there's no shame in the way God created us uh, to desire our wives and to <clears throat> appreciate their beauty. But when it is, and you use the word per uh, what perverted. did you say? Perverted or yeah. corrupted. Right. right. Satan takes the beauty of God's creation and corrupts and perverts it for his purposes. And yes. that's what happens in here, right? That's right. And then we cover ourselves with the, with our own fig leaves and yeah. try to hide. And, and so it's just a repeat of what happened in the garden. Yeah. So your box of books and these other things, it makes me think that somebody had reached a point where they knew, I just need to get rid of this. And maybe they threw them out there. I don't know. But, I mean, I have I remember on a Boy Scout hike one time, we stumbled upon some magazines while we were on a five-mile hike. And somebody had thrown it off on the side of the road. And it's like, you know, I need to get rid of this. Yeah. Uh, but then someone's trash becomes a trap for another young guy to fall into. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've been one of those guys where I've been I've bought my own magazines and been so frustrated that I've done it later that I throw it away or, yeah. you know, so there's a, there's a ritual to that. Wow. That's a ritual to that. There's a, there's a cyclic nature to some of this. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry I distracted you with that, but there are just so many pieces of this where I think guys need to sit with this and say, okay, where am I and what is at the core of this? So, uh, so keep moving with your story. Yeah. So, uh, still lived in Georgia. So, so at the end of our time in Georgia, uh, when my mom took her life, my dad got an immediate transfer up to Virginia. He asked for one, which, you know, with complete understanding. So when he went to Virginia to look for a house, me and my two brothers moved in with our next door neighbors. And they had, I found pornography in their, their den end table. And yeah. so, so there was just a rhythm. I can look back throughout my life and from age 11 all the way to, you know, 33, when I finally just said enough of this, I really need some help. There was just a progression of, yeah. of pornography that I would either haphazardly find or go, you know, find myself and buy or, or whatever. So, yeah. And, and so there is, a, I'm going to go to a, a hard and uncomfortable place here probably, but but so we talk about pornography, mm -hmm. and so when we see those images and we're exposed to those things, there is this rush of adrenaline and endorphins. I don't know all the chemicals. I'm sure we'll have someone on here in the next few weeks that will that will explain all this chemi brain chemistry stuff. But what it does is it excites us, and then it moves us to the point of sexual expression. Yes. And and so it you know there's a word that we don't like to use it doesn't sound very churchy but the whole word masturbation and what is the ultimate outcome of this sexual arousal that's caused by 
pornography. I mean, if we're going to expose ourselves to those images, it excites us to the point that there is a release that we want to have. And so you begin this process of masturbation, um, and that's what releases the big rush of endorphins and becomes the medicine that takes away whatever pain we're running from sometimes. Yes. And and so we often talk about pornography and that where that takes us, but we don't often get to the point because it's so uncomfortable of talking about the power of masturbation. That's where the sexual addiction, the addictive behavior, the 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 repetitive patterns begin to mm-hmm. form. Yeah. So can you speak to that or Yeah, <laughs> there and and that's part of the progression too because I you know, I I can I can uh, compare this to an alcoholic who one beer might give him a buzz early on, but then it takes a whole six pack and then it progresses to liquor and things like that. Pornography for me was very much like that. I could yeah. see a magazine and a spike of adrenaline, masturbate, and then I would I would feel the shame and throw it away. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> then it would progress to more graphic images. Um, and then it would progress to a video. So, so, you know, movies, things like that. And then strip clubs and live, you know, live people or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's what along that, along that process for me, it, it was more, it was, it was more graphic, more real, more live, um, that was adding to the adrenaline rush and then masturbation, um, but for for in my journey, I would I would always tell myself I knew it was wrong. I felt ashamed of it. I wanted to stop, but there was a line for me that you know I would tell myself I'm not taking it out. I'm not actually with a live person right. outside my marriage. I, I know biblically that's completely not true, um, but for me that that was the battle that I was in, and so. I did get to that point, and I think it's inevitable when mm-hmm. when people don't get help for this. It's inevitable for me. What happened is I went to a conference. If you want me to jump ahead to this, yeah, went to a conference up in New York, and I called um, an escort service and got a quote, and hung up the phone. And I felt the adrenaline rush even with that because yeah. the the possibility of being with a live person was an adrenaline rush in itself and getting a quote, but that terrified me. Yeah, and so that's when the realization. For me, that progression was really getting to the point where I, I was, I knew I was beyond, I wasn't, I wasn't, the things that I was doing up to this point weren't helping me. In fact, I was, I was getting even worse. Yeah. So let, now let, let's talk about another part of your life here, um, because you were married at the time, this, this whole thing, you're doing battle with this. It started when you were 11, mm-hmm. um, you, um, were in college, you met a girl, you got married. And so this battle, did marriage fix the battle and take away the, the, the intrigue of pornography and, and those behaviors? No, I, I would say marriage and then having kids and that added responsibility, added that stress because that's this is a stress reliever yeah um added some more fuel to it um and so especially since i wouldn't be in i I was in the word i was going to church i was active in sunday school and some small groups even with guys i went through the whole promise keepers thing and and met with some guys um but there was but there was no freedom in the midst of that i mean i my rhythm, and, and I was traveling, I was in sales, and so when I would stay at a hotel, and I would fall continually every evening, and then the next morning I would get up 
an additional 30 minutes early or 15 minutes earlier and extend my quiet time and just cry out to the Lord in his word. So I'm in his word every day, but it's just me and, and him fighting this. No one else knew. So even in my small, my men's small groups, I, you know, I could hide pretty well. And we kind of touched on it periodically, but I tell you one other story. I, I shared this a little bit. I, I became a bit more transparent with one group of guys one time. And one of the guys n- knew that his wife was best friends with my wife at the time. Yeah. He immediately calls his wife, tells what I said in our small group, and, and she calls my wife. By noontime that day, I get a phone call from my wife going, what's going on? And I, and at that, I wasn't ready to come out at that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably should have at the moment, but but that was just, I knew that, that that group right there was not safe. Yeah. So that's just part of the process. Let, let me jump in here because there's so many things to unpack. It, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me immediately is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, uh, Mike, you and I have walked through some of this because— um, there have been identity struggles with this because what part of the cycle is Satan begins to convince us that I am my sin hmm. and I there I'm you know I'm condemned. You were active in the church. You were married, raising kids, but there's this battle going on in the background hmm. that you couldn't be honest about with folks because the moment that you tried someone betrayed you Mm -hmm. and so guys let me just pause right here and say listen therefore he is who is without sin let him cast the first stone and and i think that so often in our churches we become palaces of judgment and we are just be we're condemning of other folks although we know we've got some trouble in our own closets. And so, guys, I would just say to you, man, and Mike's going to get into this as we unpack it a little bit more, but we need safe places. You've got to have some guys that you can talk to about this, you can be honest with, and don't betray your brother. Uh, Meet him where he is, love him, understand, seek to understand, because Listen, there is none of us, very few of us, who don't understand this battle in some way. It's just whether or not you've been willing to be honest about it with some other folks. And um, so that's just part of this. It breaks my heart to hear that the, the church doesn't have safe spots often where we can get some help for the battles that we're dealing with. And, uh, and, and that just aches for me. I'll also tell you... Um, this may or may not be the right place to put this in, but ladies, um, I, I, I would just say to you that, again, God made men to appreciate the, the, the female shape and form. And absolutely, your shape, your form, your body should be his only access to that. But Satan is constantly barraging him and all of us with distractions and so just understanding that there is a battle that he's fighting, that your sons are fighting, is a big deal. So, um, man, we need some grace in this fight, don't we? We really do. Absolutely. So, so go from there. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, these little pieces that I, I think guys need to be aware of yeah. and think about. 
Well, it you were when you were talking about shame and and uh, that reminds me of when going back one of the 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 main beliefs that I had for myself that I carried for for years was it looking back at when my mom took her life I was yeah. very close to my mom and so the belief that I made up about myself when she she took her life is that I'm not worth sticking around for wow and so this this unworth this worthlessness I carried with me and I, I was doing well in school. I was doing well at work. My life doing looked well great. Doing well athletically? I, I mean, you I, were an athlete, a collegiate yeah. athlete. So I did well in so many areas except, you know, this one part that kept yeah. growing. Um, and, and until I really understood why I was – I kept going back to that. But this, this, this deep-seated worthlessness, that's yeah. what I was fighting against when, when I was being successful – or reaching for for pornography, um, and so that was that's very much part of the fuel for me, and so I guess the 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 next step for me when I when I hit rock bottom and needed some help, um, I, even in that I, I was I had a, a group of guys. And I, I, I guess I won't tell the whole story there, but we had some mentors in our life. Yeah, that that Kelly, my wife, had reached out to and. And said, you know, I'm, 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 uh, you know, he's, he's getting squirrely. Cause I had, I, I got intervened with, and they said, you know, you really need to go to treatment. And I knew it. And at, at the time I said, you're right, I need to do this. And so I took the steps. I, I cashed out my 401k to go to this treatment center in Arizona, knowing that this is the right thing to do. It was going to save my marriage and my family. But in the process of doing that, I stopped and that voice inside my head was going, hold on, just regroup. You know, you can, you can do this. You, you know, you just go to more meetings, support groups and things like that. Well, my wife got, and I called my wife in front of the bank um, saying, Hey, listen, I'm trying to talk her out, out of me doing what I'm about to do. She gets off the phone and calmly calls our two mentor couples who said, Hey, why don't we meet for dinner tonight? So we got together for dinner with them. I thought, Oh, great. Everyone's, you know, this is going to be a nice evening. Well, it was an intervention dinner, and they said we've got your we've got your flight lined up. Uh, Steve is going to take you to the airport this evening, and you're leaving in one hour. Um, and he essentially looked at my wife across the table and said, "I can't believe you've you've put up with this as long as you have." So we needed people like that to kind of push us over the the hump to to for me to really get some help, and for me to really understand, I am I am. I can't do any of this on my own yeah. until I get some help. And so that, that was really kind of the, that's what helped me to get away for six weeks and have an intensive counseling session every day, have support groups where people are being transparent and real was a big help. And in fact, a month into it, my wife ended up going over there for two weeks too. And so we were out there together because she realized she needed some help too because she was part of this. Now, now, so this is a huge commitment. You guys, he said it so quickly, you may have missed it. He cashed out his 401k. So, um, you know, he took the money that he had set aside for retirement at this point in his life, which was probably substantial, but not nearly where it is today. And, and said, I need to make a significant investment in getting healthy. Yes. And and so it was through that experience that you understood 
you know, it, it's it's called the trauma egg where you kind of un, unpack, okay, is there a source for this? And, and you begin to understand your, your, the brokenness that came with your mom's yes. taking of her own life yeah. and, and how that affected you. Yeah. Well, and one thing I've learned over the years, and I'm not a counselor, but one thing that I've learned about the, the grief cycle yeah. is there's, there's anger initially and then there's numbness um, or maybe reverse the two. And then there's depression or, yeah. or just, you know, deep sadness. And then you start, you start accepting where you are and then you start making some adjustments. Well, anytime you, for me, what happened is that grief cycle was halted. Yeah. I, I, we stopped as soon as our family and my dad didn't, he, he had no idea how to handle this. Yeah. So I'm not pointing the finger at him. Um, but I've just learned this over the years. So when he moved, when we moved to Virginia, we completely never talked about what happened in Georgia. We said, we need to, you guys, we just need to be push forward. We need to learn how to do these chores ourselves. We need to keep doing well in school. And, and that's what we focused on is just staying, you know, just keeping things moving forward instead of looking back and talking through and, and processing where we've been. Yeah. And just grieving through it. That's what was, was so critical. So for me, th- what, what I reached for to cope is pornography yeah. and, and ultimately that that could train wreck my marriage and it, it was moving toward that direction yeah this has been a progression there were ups and downs there were probably periods of time where you felt like you were doing better and you were getting on top of this and then there would be something that would trigger and you would um go into a cycle is is that pretty much how that went or um uh, up until the time when you when you yeah. did the inpatient experience you know, some some people's experience that I've heard, um, they realized that pornography is not good, and they stopped cold turkey and never went back. That wasn't my story. My my story has been one where I've I've stopped. I've been in in support groups and I've fallen. I've stopped. You know, I've I've gone. I, I continue to go to support groups, but I just keep stumbling, and and so it, it really for me it took a combination of counseling just to unpack grief and. And frankly, for Kelly and I to start getting some help with boundaries and communication and, and our own relationship and how she plays into yeah. this dance. Because it's a family it. dynamic here. It very much pieces is. of it. Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, and then part of the frustration for me, and this is my own story, with with I was going to church and then I went to celebrate recovery. And it was almost like, a uh, you know your life is getting screwed up and so you go to celebrate recovery until you get better and then you can come back to church. And so that was kind of, that was part of my frustration in the midst of my own recovery is I was going to celebrate recovery. I was going to AA meetings. I had a wonderful community of people who were just knowing that they're, they're not screwed up, but they have screwed up thinking and, and they can be honest and they have a, a safe community just to walk through challenging things in life and, laugh and cry together and, and just do daily life together. And then even going to AA meetings today is very much of a reprieve for me because I'm around with around guys who who know their their weaknesses and vulnerabilities and are just transparent about it. And um, some some guys have 10 years of sobriety, some have one day. Yeah. Um, but it's just a refreshing group. Uh, and so that's where I, that's part of my frustration, at least my own experience with with church life has been you get it together 
first, and then you can walk with, with the, the people over here in church. But if you don't have it together, then you need to go to Celebrate Recovery or AA meetings or whatever. You got to so, go get fixed before you can come back yeah, to the big church. Yeah. So it, this is a challenge for me. I, it, it, and we talked about this earlier. Um, the AA meetings are places where folks are real and they're honest and they've they've they have reached a point where they are ready to be transparent and um it's no holds barred they they, they're vulnerable there yeah and i'll I'll say this too because i used to go to sa meetings sexual addiction meetings um those were for me they were very dark and so people were just kind of going up and what i call throw throwing up every time hey i i looked at porn masturbated last night but there was no freedom in that it was just kind of throwing up sessions but aa for for me tended to be you had guys who have been walking free freely for a number of years and are reaching back and walking with the, the guys that are that are kind of weak need yeah um and and very vulnerable and, and and what they what i love about it too um if you're new into aa they'll pass around a, a book and they'll just during the meetings they'll just write their name and their phone number name and phone number go all the way around the group um, and then at the end of the, the, the meeting, they'll hand it, this to the, to the new guy um, and say, you've got a community here. Reach out whenever you need. Uh, and and that's a, that, that was a safe haven for yeah. me. All right. So I want to do a couple of things with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so follow me here. Okay. Um, and I, I'm probably going to say some controversial things, and you guys can, can fire back if you need to. But the church is not always helpful in this journey. Is, is that a fair statement? It, that's fair. Um, Christ is never going to fail you, though. Absolutely. And 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 so please understand the 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 statement that I'm making because I'm going to ask Mike here to tell us about what role his relationship with Jesus and the Word has played in his not only his recovery but in walking in victory for these years. Um, and, and I also want to speak to this fact that the church sometimes, not all churches, but the church sometimes, um, wants to appear to be pristine and all these things. And so it's hard for people to be real. Um, and, and that's what he's found at, at, at some of these AA meetings. Now, listen, I'm not endorsing AA as a replacement for the church. So be careful. Don't call right or throw hate mail or rotten tomatoes at me or anything. I just want us to hear and understand that that level of transparency and honesty before other men and the Lord himself is a model that we need to begin to figure out how can we create in the local church, because I am convinced that as long as we keep these things in darkness, as long as we hide them, and the church forces us to hide this sin and many others, as long as the sin is kept in the darkness, then Satan is satisfied and we have issues. But when we bring these things to light and Christ the light comes in, then we can begin to do some real work. And I'm... I. My point is the church needs to be better at taking gracious light into some dark places to truly help people. So that's a lot. Mike, you can respond to that, but but ultimately tell us how your your faith in Jesus and 
your study and investment in the word has has brought you help in this. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll say one thing too. Our, our associate pastor was a gem because yeah. he's the first person I went to and said I I need to share what's going on, and and he he was a he was just a wonderful mentor moving forward um, with that. So. Um, there are people within yeah. the church that are extremely helpful. So for for me, walking in the Word, at, at one point I memorized Romans six, the whole chapter, just because it was so. It spoke to the old man dying and the new yeah. man has come. And one in, one verse in particular talks about the death that he died, meaning Jesus. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, and and um. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, mm. you also, and this is what spoke to me, that that, that I had to speak to myself routinely. Yeah. Likewise, you also are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that new life is what I had to continue to breathe back in through his word, through the truth, to counter that unworthiness that I carried everywhere I went. Everywhere I went, that's, that's what I was thinking. So I had to counter that. The other verses for, I mean, all of the word, it's just memorizing verses are so critical in, in changing my thinking. Um, another powerful chapter for me is First John um, 1, 5 through, 5 through 7, um, where it talks about, um, well, 5 through 9, I should say. If we say that we have new sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the verses before that, it says, but if we walk in the light, and I knew I was walking in darkness because verse 5 and 6 talk about that. In fact, verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So for me, I knew, okay, I, I say that I have fellowship with him, with the Father, but I'm walking in darkness. And so that, that convicted me. And so I knew I needed to share something, but I wasn't ready until I got to that, that line that I drew in the sand and I, I, and I scared myself to death. Yeah. And that's where the Lord wanted me. And that's when I came into verse 7 where it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That fellowship with the Father opened up when I came out into the light and talked to Maurice, and then he told me, talk to your wife. And then I got connected with other guys who were, who were walking in the light and sharing these stories and sharing life together. That's when freedom for me started happening because I realized I'm not as unique as I as I thought I was. And that's part of Satan's trick and trap, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I'm the only one dealing with this. I'm the only one who struggles with these images and it's really not true. And, and that kept me kept me in the word but just fighting just me and God. Yeah. And he didn't want me just to do that. He wanted me to live in community and live in the light. And that's been huge. Talk about the value of community um Gosh, we've kind of wandered all over the place here. But so, so you went to treatment. You were there for six weeks. Um, I I could ask this question: Does every guy need to have that experience? Will so answer that? I, I wouldn't say so. No, absolutely yeah. not. Because what treatment really helped me with is you know I was going to meetings three times a day with with other guys that had the same struggle, and so it was kind of like AA, but it was all it was SA meetings. Yeah, and so sharing what we were learning through counseling in the midst of that treatment. And then, so it was just a, it was, 
it opened me up to realize the value of community. Well, you can have community anywhere you are. Yeah. So it's just a matter of finding some real guys that you can walk with and count and, and add to have counseling. For me, I think the value of counseling is critical. I've got, I've got back issues. We've talked about this. Yeah. I'm going to a physical therapist who's helping me understand how to treat my back. So I'm not going backwards Yeah. and I'm going forwards. The, these counseling for me is the same way. I don't have relationships figured out perfectly with my yeah. wife and, and other people and counseling helps me or dealing with pornography. It just helps me understand how to set healthy boundaries, how to receive healthy boundaries from my wife, how to walk responsibly it's it just there there's so much to counseling that that is valuable to a family yeah or to a husband and, and father yeah so um you you walked with some guys were there i mean once you went through that process is that when the switch flipped and you were no longer tempted or tormented or drawn into this um yeah it I, was walking in perfect freedom at that point well no uh <laughs> I tripped and stumbled quite often, um, but but not staying there was the yeah. critical part for me. Uh, it, it it I I did I was walking with some other guys that knew that they didn't have to do life perfectly. If you stumble, you're out of the group. That's not the case. Yeah. If you stumble, then you share it with some guys, and it takes the it takes the punch away, and you just keep moving forward. There's grace and mercy and love and acceptance along the way. I had a group of guys that I was getting together with every Wednesday evening for an hour and there was a it, it was and and they were all dealing with pornography issues and sexual addiction issues. Some of them had lost their marriages already, others were struggling and like me. And and but but we just came and we would call each other. I had one guy named Ron that I would call just about every day. And because I would know, he knew my, when I would get squirrely, I'd just call him and, and have nothing to say, say other than, Ron, I just need to hear a voice on the phone. And yeah. he knew it. He didn't have any wise words for me. He, we'd just get on the phone and chat about the day. And, and the, the tension just was swept away. Five-minute phone call. But I didn't know that. I didn't understand that until I started walking with some guys. That's huge. And, and you know, so... God calls us to bring our concerns and our prayers to him. And even when we can't speak, he prays on our behalf. I mean, we know all of that. Um, and that is right to do. But sometimes God meets us in those places by giving us a human voice, a human heart, yeah. um, someone who understands our struggle that we can share that with. And and so when we're living in isolation, you I, you've introduced me to the term, we get into some stinking thinking, and we we just get into this cyclic thinking pattern. And so we really do need to pick up the phone sometimes yes. or reach out to a brother. Yes. Uh, I I have thinking that just leads me. I, I learn not to f to trust my own thinking. Yeah. I need some guys that, that I call, I, I just do sanity checks with and say, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm just in a squirrely place. I just need to need to chat for a few minutes. And what a blessing that is to yes. to be able to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I'm I'm, this is heavy for me right now." Yes. And and so vulnerabilities. Um, one of the things I love to do is encourage guys to, when they're in fellowship with other men, ask four questions very quickly: What's heavy? What's hard? What hurts? How can I help? And um, so we need to have some other guys that when we feel those things we can have a conversation with them and 
somehow it it changes it takes away the tension of you, as you've mentioned and it allows us to focus on the Lord in this whole thing and what's true about this situation, not the lies that Satan wants to tell us. That's correct. Yes. So what are triggers? Um, Part of what you learn in this whole process is when and where am I vulnerable? And so what have you learned about yourself in terms of when you're most vulnerable to fall back into a trap or to, to, to have a challenge? Yeah. Um, So you've heard halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. For me, loneliness is a is a big trigger. So when I travel, or when I yeah. used to travel, uh, going into a hotel room, it, there's just something about walking through that door, walking into a hotel room by myself, that I just feel the thickness of loneliness, and that's that's very much a trigger because I'm just looking for something to soothe. Um, so that's one um, stress, yeah. anxiety. Uh, that that jacks things up. So I, I have to learn how to recognize the triggers and then to incorporate those things in my life that I know are healthy and valuable. I, when I was in pornography, I, I thought of one thing. It, yeah. I just had one option, and then that, that was pornography. I didn't want to reach for it, but that's the only thing that worked. Part of me growing up, really, and recovering through this and getting got, finding some freedom is to incorporate some things that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Going for a walk, reading a good book, um, you know, talking to friends, going out to to dinner with some friends. Um, going out and shooting hoops. I know you shoot, talk about oh, that. Oh, my goodness. I haven't been able to do that for a couple of weeks with my back. <laughs> but that's absolutely just going. I, would, I used to carry a basketball in my trunk, so I would find a hoop and go shoot around One for of a my while. sons, you, Ben, says, Dad, there are hoops everywhere. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so he's, he's always on the lookout for a hoop. So I, yeah. that's awesome. You carry a basketball in your trunk. Yeah. I, I know a guy that um, he talks about his dad used to carry uh, nothing but a driver and a bunch of golf balls and tees in the back of his car. And he would stop sometimes on the way home, just on the side of the road, and just drive golf balls into <laughs> a piece of cut-over land or something, just Whatever getting out works. some stress. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever works that doesn't leave you with shame. So That's huge. Yeah, it's, it's practical things that you can incorporate in your toolbox. Yeah. Now, let me let me ask you this. Does, does pornography still haunt you? It, oh, I, I can still conjure up images from 20 years ago or longer. Um so yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh it is the moment what I've learned over the years, the moment that I think I'm on top of it, I've already put myself in a in a vulnerable position. So it, I think it's going to be a lifetime thing for me, allurement for me that I yeah. need to, to be aware of. And so that battle then is in your mind and mm-hmm. later in the month we're going to have an opportunity to talk with um hopefully Sam Black from Covenant Eyes about internet um, software uh, that will help us uh, screen accountability. And so that's wonderful um, to have these tools that are um, maybe they serve as a deterrent to us and they keep us from going places that we shouldn't go. But the, I, I think the truth is many of us already have images in our mind. And if we aren't guarding our thoughts, if we aren't um, on top of where our minds are going, if we aren't taking every thought captive and submitting it to the Lord, then we are going to potentially find ourselves in dangerous places, and there is no magazine or image in front of us. It's just what's been stored up in our minds. And so 
This is very much a battle that takes place in the mind and the soul and the spirit. Yes. And and so you have to stay on top of that. Yeah. And and having having for me having a daily quiet time, obviously yeah. being in the word, journaling. Um, reading some good books. I used to read um, Henry Nouwen was a favorite author of mine or John Eldridge, those guys um, that just speak to the, a a man's heart. But that, that's a critical part of, of, of me getting equipped for the day is being in, in the word and journaling and, Listen well, to worship music and continuing to memorize scripture too. Yes. I think you're memorizing John 15 right now, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I just, I just love this, brother. I, I, I hope you can feel that. And um, I said in another podcast already that that um, Mike will talk about sipping on scripture, and sometimes he will he will just hang out on one verse and just meditate that on that and lean into it. And uh, he mentioned a phrase some time ago that has captured my attention, and that phrase is steadfast love. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, he talked about how encouraging and affirming and helpful it is to be reminded. With what you've been through and how you've understood your story, yes. being reminded of God's never-ending, reliable, steadfast love is huge. That that's I still sip on that because that's such a critical part because of my own worldview of what love looks like yeah and and how 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 much of a contrast that is with with the the father's love for me yeah that is that is a huge part of just that's why I sip on that because it's it's so foreign yeah but as I sip on it and saturate in it I start to understand how how beautiful that relationship he is and that relationship is to me. Um, and so it, it is a, and I think that's why I like to also read Henry now and just speaks yeah. to that beautifully for me. There's a, there's a, a book called life of the beloved that is fantastic. Uh, and there's a prayer that he has, that I memorized a while back. Um, oh, it talks about feelings. It says the feelings as strong as they may be are not telling me the truth about myself. The mm-hmm. truth is that I'm a beloved, I, I am the chosen child of God, called the beloved from all eternity, and called the beloved um, and held safe in an everlasting embrace. So those, those type things that help me get a picture of the love that God has for me is an important part of me really understanding and growing close to the Lord and, and, and and understanding the unfathomable grace and mercy and love he has toward me, even in my long history of struggling with pornography, he still loves me and delights in me. And that's that's what a precious gift that is. And and you know what? I, I think this is part of uh, in, in the church as imperfect as she is at times. And I am the church. So so please understand that. The church, as imperfect as she is, struggles to love people the way that God does. Mm-hmm. And and so um, we need to learn to practice those things uh, mm-hmm. with each other. Um, I, I was going to tell you that this particular Bible that I'm reading through right now, every time I get to the phrase steadfast love, I do a double underline. And, and it's because you pointed out how frequently... It's mentioned in here. And then your your comments just a moment ago about uh, from that poem, remembering who you are. 
Man, that makes me think about the, the recent Kendrick Brothers film, Overcomer. It's all about identity and understanding who we are in Christ. Yeah. Chosen, adopted, an heir, forgiven, redeemed, restored, all of those things. But Satan would corrupt every one of those things. Yes. And, and, and so there's a battle that takes place for us to understand our identity in Christ and not have that corrupted by Satan's distortions, uh, his desires to steal and kill and destroy, and, and Christ's coming so that we might have abundant life. Well, um, gosh, I, I, we probably need to be bringing this to a close, Mike. There's so many things that we could talk about, and we may get into a series here. I don't know, but I think about you know the whole question of, of how you have walked with your wife in this and her reaction. Um, She's a dear friend, our family's vacation together. And so um, I, I just am thankful that you guys use your story to minister to others. And that's huge. And and then the other thing that I think about is uh, your children. You've got two sons and a daughter. I've got three sons and a daughter. And we've we've had these conversations about our boys, with our boys. Uh, you know, I was talking to one of my kids the other day about um, about. 33 the series and and zach mentioned how much fun it was for us to go through that on vacation at the beach together and those conversations and so there are so many pieces of this because folks if you're listening to this we've had conversations with all of our sons about their battles with purity and this whole thing this is this is real and and part of what is so important is learning to speak with grace, to respond in grace, and to not let the shock of hearing something um, keep us from being willing to hear someone's story, to love them, to meet them where they are, and to help them move to a healthy place. Um, that's and, and recognizing this is a long-term battle. That's right, yeah. So, Mike, I, I you know, there's so much more that we could talk about, but if a guy's hearing this and— uh, what would you recommend? What's a resource? What What would you say to the guy who says, I can so identify with Mike's story, man, what should I do next? What do yeah. you say? There, There's a number of resources out there. Um, my my boys and I are just starting to go through Proven Men together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, one of my boys started reading the first two chapters and he, he said, well, he's he's telling my story already. Yeah. So just just getting getting resources that talk specifically about pornography addiction is important because yeah. that 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 in itself opens you up to realize, OK, this is it's not me. It's not only me thinking this way. Yeah. Um, Finding some some groups for for me, it, it, it's it's invaluable to find some some guys who are being real about this. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's through counseling, because there's plenty of group counseling um, groups out there that you can get connected with that are yeah. that are valuable and important. Um, I've read a bunch of, for me, my, my thinking in terms of my skewed thinking about the Heavenly Father's love for me, books from... Henry Nowen for me have been helpful. John Eldridge has been helpful. Um, let's see. And then, have you read Every Man's Battle? I have. Yeah, that's another. That's another great yeah, resource. Stephen Arterburn well. and Fred yes. Stoker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've also read codependency books and yeah. and sexual addiction books that are that are 
not necessarily Christian based, but yeah. they're valuable resources to really learn what addiction yeah. looks like. Yeah. And it's been valuable for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, we're going to um, we're going to include a resource list and give you some of those resources just so that, you know, uh, we're planning to have someone on from Covenant Eyes to visit with us. Uh, Steve Etner is a former pastor who's battled with this for or, or did battle with this for years, now leads a ministry called the uh, the Pure Man Ministry. And uh, so he's going to be on with us. Mike mentioned Proven Men. We're going to have Marshall Shank, a representative from Proven Men, to talk about that resource. Um, and we are working. Uh, actually, I'm going to put a little pressure on Mike now. He's he's working with me to help develop um, a web page on the Noble Warriors site that um, kind of lists these purity ministries and some direction, maybe even some counseling options for you. Um, and so, uh, it, but let me say this. Um, I believe that the church is God's plan A to <clears throat> disciple men in every facet of Christian living. And, and so it is my deep desire and my heartfelt prayer that churches would do a good job with this, um, that there would be healthy groups of men who are being honest with each other that are part of a local church. Listen, if, if you think that you need to wait until a kid goes off to college to start having these conversations about sexual purity and sexual integrity, bad idea. Um, I read um, every, the, every young man's battle with my sons, and my oldest son said, Dad, it's like this guy's living in my head. He was, he was 15 at the time. We probably should have read it when he was younger. Um, but your teenage sons are wrestling with their hormones and their urges and everything that is welling up inside of them by God's design and so as a parent, you need to be working with good resources and good strategies to meet those young men and women where they are. And as a church, what are we doing? I would also say you've got to start this earlier than you would like because of the potential exposure that comes through so much uh, media today. So guys, we are for you. Um, and I... I you know, we're all in this battle for living a life of sexual integrity. I'm so thankful for my friend Mike being willing to come on and, and share part of his story. I hope it's been an encouragement and, a, and an inspiration to you and, and maybe a prompting for some next steps. Um, so uh, before I sign off, Mike, any final comments or thoughts to share with the guys? No, I, I think there's hope because uh, I, yeah. I think part part of my struggle was was there's no end in sight and there's just how do i get on top of this but there truly is hope for this addiction uh and there's freedom yeah true freedom and you know i think about y'all's marriage and there was some really hard times absolutely but we delight in the beauty of your marriage i didn't even know you when you were going through this originally and yeah. um so just just to see healthy marriage, healthy family is such a blessing. Oh, and it, that's worth the fight to get through it and to get through it together yeah. uh, because that, our, our marriage is stronger today than ever. And, and we're so grateful that we went through this together. All right. Let me ask you another question because there's some guys out there saying, gosh, that fool cashed in his retirement account to get to a healthy place so he could have a better marriage. Was it worth it? I, I would do it again. Guys. 
the investment that you make in building a healthy marriage is so much cheaper than a divorce. Hmm. The, the work that you do toward reaching healthy family to get to a healthy place and restoring family is so worth it when you look around and see the complexity of broken and divorced families trying to figure out how do we do graduation? How do we do weddings? How do we do, I, man, invest in your marriage. If, if pornography is, is a division point in your marriage, man, it, connect with some guys, make some decisions, get to some work, to some healthy places, because getting to a healthy place is so worth what comes out of that. It really like is. You would agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, Mike, thank you so much. And I, I just, I think Todd, our producer, I, I don't mention him enough, but he's always uh, shucking and jiving and making things work. And um, so I'm thankful for him and the entire Noble Warriors team. Guys, thanks for joining us. Um, like, share, um, promote this post with us and be on the lookout for episode 25 coming up next. Marshall Shank is going to be with us. He's part of the Proven Men team. And our topic there is going to be the noble man pursues a proven pathway. God bless you, men. We'll look forward to catching up with you next time. 